I'm Jeff Cohen. Sam Ulrich has been a photographer from the age of 13. You might say that it was his calling, except that he had another one, Torah Judaism. Today he's balancing a life of Jewish observance with life as one of the most sought-after photographers of Jewish events in the New York and New Jersey area and beyond. He joins us now to give us a picture of how he's used that to his professional and spiritual advantage. Sam, welcome to Saturday to Shabbos. Thanks for having me. So Sam, I know you're talking to me today from New Jersey, but that's not where your story begins. So where were you born? I was born in LA and moved to San Diego for high school. So your family though, when you were growing up, so you were Jewish, but was there any level of observance going on? Like what were some of the customs within your family as a child? I would say Christmas and Halloween were at the forefront of my uh, childhood. <laughs> and uh, and Judaism was kind of something that thing that was in the background that we said we're Jewish, but I didn't really know what that meant. None of that was ever really in my home at all. So wait, were you going like trick-or-treating and getting Christmas gifts? There was still like a Hanukkah element to your family. There was no Hanukkah element to the Christmas bush or the Hanukkah bush in my, uh, in my house. You know, we celebrated Christmas, went trick-or-treating. I think at one point we did light menorah, but it wasn't like, you know, we're going to light menorah, celebrate by the Hanukkah bush, and then go trick-or-treating. So you, you knew you were Jewish, but was your family doing this because that's what the people around you doing, like based on the community that you were in? No, it wasn't a communal thing. I think it was more that we knew we were Jewish. We knew we had Judaism in our blood. We knew that we had ancestors who were Jewish. I have a very like fond memory of you know, going to a Rosh Hashanah service with my grandmother, but it was in a church. And I remember, you know, Jesus on the cross. <laughs> as you're saying, you know, whatever you say in Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. It's amazing. I'm finally meeting someone who started with even less than I did, because I like to say I dipped an apple in honey, I got a Hanukkah gift, and I had a piece of matzah. But your starting point is even before that with trick-or-treating, Christmas gifts, and Rosh Hashanah service in a church. Oh yeah, our holiday card was me with my two dogs with Christmas costumes on. That was our holiday card. So were you even aware of like different levels of Judaism, Reform, Conservative, Orthodox? Did you know anything about this as a child? I don't think I had any recollection or any idea of anything like this until I was probably 12 or 13 when one of my very good friends at the time said, I'm studying for my bar mitzvah, when's yours? Did you know what a bar mitzvah was? I must have known what a bar mitzvah was because of just, I guess, things that were going on in my life and my friends were having them. But other than that, I just thought it was like, hey, you get money, gifts, party. What, what could be bad? So did you go to your parents saying, look, I, one of my good friends or other people in the school are having this. I'm of the same age. Can we do something similar for me? I did. I went to my mom and my dad and they said, absolutely not. It's not happening. We're not doing it. And I think at that point is when I realized that my father grew up somewhat in a religious home. His parents kept kosher, his parents kept holidays, and he himself had a bar mitzvah. He never talked about it. He never talked about religion, never talked about this. And when I brought it up, you know, he kind of froze and says, no, we're not having one. So do you think it was like bringing up some of these memories from what he was doing as a child that he clearly went away from? So you bring it up kind of brought that back into his consciousness that he said, this is not something I want for my son. Yeah, I think, you know, he lived in Flatbush growing up and uh, and uh, I think around 11 years old, my mom and I were in actually New York and we said, oh, we should go visit his house. And it's like in the heart of the Jewish community of Flatbush. 
And so around that time, you know, my friends were preparing for his bar mitzvah. I really remember, you know, going to his house for Shabbat. In my mind, he was like the most religious person you could ever become. <laughs> he he didn't cook on Shabbat. He didn't this. And like you would drive to synagogue and he was Moroccan and they had like interesting customs. Like the talit can't come in the car on Shabbat. Like we had to leave the talit in shul. But like we're going to drive to shul. We're going to drive to synagogue. <laughs> and I remember going to the Baba Sali shul in L.A., with my friend Jonas, and that's what like sparked all this. And I went to you know several Orthodox rabbis and said, I want a bar mitzvah. And they said, not so fast. Like these kids have been studying since they've been seven, eight, nine. You can't just come in three weeks before when you want to have a bar mitzvah and like have a bar mitzvah. So I, I, I then found out that like my parents were not interested in having me do this. So it wasn't going to be something like, hey, mom, plan the bar mitzvah, you know, we're just going to, or hey, dad, plan the bar mitzvah. So I, as a 12-year-old boy, didn't like the answer of no. And I began to do my local research. And I went around, you know, two different rabbis being turned down left and right. And uh, there was one guy who I guess money stood before Judaism, which, you know, take that as you wish. And he's a reconstructionist rabbi in L.A. by the name of Stan Levy. I have no connection with him now, but I remember going to him and saying, Bar Mitzvah. He goes, well, most people have been studying for about a year, but maybe we can get you to do it. When do you want to do it? I'm like, okay, perfect. My birthday's May 6th. It's Parshat Emor. Let's start it. And he goes, do you know how to read Hebrew? I'm like, no, not at all. And he said, okay, I guess first step is to uh, start the olive bays. So he had a Hebrew teacher by the name of Rina. In my living room at the age of 12, I started to learn the alphabet. I had a similar experience too. I was not on track to get a bar mitzvah and my friends started having them and I went to my parents. Now the difference is they were supportive in that moment and they ended up getting me a tutor, but he taught me transliterated Hebrew because the bar mitzvah was coming up and it was like obvious that I couldn't do it in real Hebrew in that short of a time frame. But did you have to then delay what you were doing? You just like fast track to learn what you need to learn actually in Hebrew to pull it off. So I don't really remember the exact nuances, but I remember Rina saying, okay, this is an olive, this is a bet, this is the difference between a samach and a sin. And I, I remember, it's not a sin to be a lefty, and I still like think of it like that. Um, <laughs> and I think she taught me the basics, and then we dove right into the Parsha. And one of the things I really remember vaguely was going to Rabbi Stan and be like, when am I doing my Hasnasa Tefillin? He goes, what? I haven't put Tefillin on in 25 years. Let's do it together. Oh, boy. And, and like, I'm like, okay, well, whatever. Like, it's great. But like, in my head, I was seeing what was happening and I wanted something parallel. So I remember in my house in Brentwood, you know, bought my first pair of Tefillin and Rabbi Stan and a bunch of people. I think I was the only one with Rabbi Stan who owned Tefillin, put Tefillin on. And that was my Tefillin in my house. First time I lanes in my house, the Thursday before my bar mitzvah and uh, had my bar mitzvah. So I have to ask you, given what you do for a living, was there someone who was the photographer at this event? We did have a photographer at the event. We have an album and it's beautiful and, you know, it captures the memories and the stories of what happened for sure. Pictures were taken on Chavez. We had crab cakes, you know, served at this beautiful hotel on the beach from Bar Mitzvah. So where does it go from there? So you, you managed to pull off this bar mitzvah, you've wrapped to fill in. So I'm guessing you're starting to have this interest in taking it forward beyond just that day. So what, what happens afterward? So shortly after that, my family and I moved to San Diego, where I started to attend a Jewish high school. 
not Jewish like you and I know today. It was no TABC, Yeshiva, no um, anything like that. It was called the San Diego Jewish Academy. It still exists, called SDJA. They call themselves a pluralistic Jewish high school. And um, every morning you had tefillah. It was more of the style where you like, you know, took out your guitar and said Modiani. And then uh, that, that was it. And I remember, you know, being in the school for, you know, a few months and being like, this is not a Jewish school. We got to have a Jewish school. You know, you had Hebrew. It was like, you know, levels of one, two through eight. Within a few months, you learn different this. There was no Parsha. There was no Jewish culture. On campus, it was it was Judaism. The kids were Jewish. So when I was in the school, I went to Dr. Davis, who was a principal at the time, and I said, we need to have an Orthodox track at the school. I said, I think there are some kids who would appreciate it, would learn from it, whose backgrounds are there. There's people who were putting tefillin on in the corner of tefillah. What can we do? And he goes, hire a rabbi. Let's create a program. It's actually amazing that the school was open to this kid coming in and saying, let's do something to the curriculum. And they ran with it because you're, you're coming from a story where your, your parents weren't necessarily supportive of you getting a bar mitzvah. So I'm even wondering, how did you get them to send you to this school and then to go even further and get the curriculum enhanced for what where you wanted to go? Well, we moved to San Diego and uh, I don't really know what the goal or the idea when we moved to San Diego was or what like what the picture was. There was no Jewish day school there besides for San Diego Jewish Academy. I had come from a cookie cutter, very traditional French day school in LA where I had spent, you know, the first nine grades of my life. Um, and going into high school, I said to my parents, I'm going to Jewish Academy because that's all that's available. A few months after actually a school opened in the community, but I had already been in the academy. And I remember saying, like, this is what I want to do. So a rabbi by the name of Rabbi Menashe East, who was from the East Coast, was uh, visiting San Diego. My Dr. Davis and I interviewed him. Here we go, 10th grader, you know, taking out a pink yarmulke from my closet, wearing a hat on top <laughs> of it to leave the house so my parents wouldn't say anything. And uh, hired him on the spot and said, okay, you're going to come and you're going to create a orthodox program. It's not going to be mandatory. It's an optional program. It'll count towards your Judaic studies requirements. You'll have the option to go to tefillah or you'll have the option to go to chakras. And at first it was 10, 12, 15 people. And by the time I graduated, I think there was 60, 50, 60 70 people in the, in the minion. And at that point, while I was in the school, I was looking for local Orthodox rabbis who I could continue studying with and being a part of. Um, I had a very good friend at the time named Lee Rubinoff, who I had met through friends and friends and friends. He lived in this community of La Jolla, where there was an Orthodox shul, an Orthodox rabbi, and I would find myself at his house on most Shabbosim. My mom picked me up to school Friday, I would go to his house, get dropped off, and get picked up on Shabbos. That happened for a good, you know, two, three years throughout my high school career. From becoming not Shomer Shabbat, Shomer Mitzvot, Shomer Kashru, anything, to really becoming Shomer Shabbos, Shomer Kashrus, and all these things. So by starting this track at school and then hanging out with this friend where you could kind of have a feeling of being in the life of an observant family, are you thinking while you're doing that, I'm just becoming educated about this? Or are you like, I'm really going to be taking this stuff on and this is how I plan to live my life? I don't know if I was that thoughtful at this time, but I definitely was intrigued by it. And I was intrigued by, 
by all the things happening and I was intrigued by the sense of community. And I really felt that there was something doing. It was something, it was, something was going on. It was something that was out of the ordinary. And I felt a tremendous connection. And, you know, Rabbi Jeff Wogelanter of Adat Yashur and the rabbi in San Diego, he's someone who I look up to tremendously and consider him very dear to my heart. And he, I remember he would get up and speak and, and people would like, you know, ah, oh, the rabbi speaking, I'm going to doze off. And I would just suck in everything he said. Everything he said to me was like the Torah. Like you do it. He says it, you do it. They really became family to me to this day. You know, I'm on the Wogelanter chat, you know, I get to, I get to be part of their family on a day-to-day basis. And it's just, it's so beautiful. It really, I'm, I feel so lucky. He's become a lifelong mentor of mine. And then uh, I went to YU. So how is your family feeling about, you're clearly like moving forward with this path that you want to be on. You're, you got to go to YU, so there was like that convincing piece of it. But where are they in terms of support now of you continuing this lifestyle versus maybe what they had in pictured for you? I think now they're completely, you know, engrossed in it and, and, and support and all that kind of stuff. But I can tell you a quick story. We're going to YU. We're going to New York. I don't know if everyone who listens to this podcast knows, but I'm a photographer. Um, it's been a passion of mine for a very long time. So at the time of applying for schools, you know, I was applying to the USC School of Art and NYU Tisch School of Art and all of these different art schools. And they accept something like a percent. Um, you have to present a portfolio, you sit in a portfolio. And I remember going to the dean and she basically in shorthand saying, you're accepted, we can't wait to have you. And wow. I was like very hesitant. I wasn't so into it. And she's like, what? I, like, what's going on? And uh, I played a little joke on my mom and I joked with her and said, we're going to NYU. And then afterwards, I said, we're going to YU. Just without the end, right? So we're going to make a little, uh, we're going to, we're going to divert a little bit. And I remember sitting in Ellie Hagler's office, who was the Dean of Admissions at the time. And I remember my mother begging Ellie not to accept me and saying, he's going to NYU. That's like, he's been accepted as the most prestigious school of art. And I said, sorry, it's just, my heart's not there. And I remember moving into YU dorms and I remember going to YU and being like, this is exactly what life is. This is meaning. So the average person, if you're handing them the best school that's going to give them the best opportunity to launch the very career that they've always dreamed of, someone will be listening to this and saying, okay, why can't you still have this Jewish path you want to go on, but let your career be what it's meant to be by getting this push from this great school? So how did you reconcile these two things going on, the spiritual versus the career part of your life in that moment? I had the skill set in photography and the skill set in the education part of my life. And I think what was missing was my core, the inside, what I wanted. And I think that YU allowed me to become the person who I wanted to be. So I'm wondering, as you're thinking about what's next for you, these journeys always need like a better half who comes into your life so that you can then take it through to the next generation. So is it in the YU years where your wife comes into the picture? My wife comes into the picture after YU, actually really towards the end of YU. I graduated YU and then I started to work for an organization called Yachad, which is part of the OU. And while I was in Yachad, they have summer programs and different programs that happen. And every staff member is 
assigned to go on one, to do one, to be part of one. And I went on Yachad Birthright. And that's where I met my wife. So what was her background and also her level of observance at the time that you met? So my wife's also a Balchuba. And my wife and I chose this path together. And every day we work on it. And it's a life that we're able to give to our children. Our children attend a local Jewish day school here. To me is like mind-boggling when they come home learning. You know, he's learning things at the age of seven that I didn't know until the age of yesterday. And <laughs> and it's amazing. You know, he comes home, he's reading, writing, reciting brachos in fluent Hebrew. I couldn't tell you what an Aleph looked at his age. And I think that, you know, Ali and I have really delved into this culture, into this life. And every day is beautiful. So what were those conversations like? You're you're hitting it off from a relationship standpoint, but I imagine you're also discussing your backgrounds from a Jewish perspective, and you're starting to say, like, what level are we going to be assuming this relationship works out, and how are we going to raise our kids? So what were those conversations like? My wife and I were very much on the same page. I think we both knew that we wanted the Torah to be the nucleus of who we are and who our family was. And I think the conversation was really about like, we want our kids to be going to a Jewish day school. We want them to be Jewish American kids. So let's now bring in the photography side of your life. Do you find it easier or harder being an observant Jew and trying to grow your business? So I would say 97% of the time, it doesn't come up. 97% of the time, I'm getting asked for a wedding on a Sunday, on a Thursday, on a Monday. Living in New York being Jewish is very easy. It's hard when I get inquiries for Shabbat. And every time I get inquiries for Shabbat, I panic and I, and, I, and I like freeze and to turn it down, do I send someone? And it's sometimes difficult to turn down the work on Shabbat, but that's the life you chose and that's what you do. See, because I'm wondering if so many of your clients are observant, is it like a pro that you also are and therefore maybe understand what they're trying to capture at these events and therefore it, it helps you because you're living the very life that they want captured? Listen, I always tell people that when you're choosing a photographer, it makes it, makes it easy to choose someone who knows what a Jewish wedding looks like. You know, you can hear terror stories of people choosing other photographers and missing the tenayim, missing the breaking of the glass. They don't know what's going on. So I think it helps me in the sense that I could tell you a Jewish wedding sometimes better than the rabbi marrying the people under the chuppah. Okay. <laughs> I was at a wedding recently. The rabbi goes to me. He goes, Sam, you've done more of these than I have. Tell me what to do. <laughs> um, so in that sense, I think it's very, very good. And that's exactly who I want to be, what I want to be. I want to be the master of my craft in my field. And... I think the fact that we've developed a process and a, and a, and a program and be, have become experts in the Jewish wedding culture, it's a huge plus. Do you think your career would be harder or easier if you went into like a very traditional job like lawyer, accountant, doctor, like so many of the people we know are in those kind of professions versus doing something that's a little less traditional? I think being a photographer has really shaped a very unique life for me and my family. You know, I get to be part of people's happiest moments. And you'll catch me teary-eyed at a Bedeckin or at a Chuppah because I just, you can't wrap your head around walking your daughter down the aisle and giving her off to another guy. Those are beautiful moments. Those are moments 
that it's a pleasure and an honor to capture. I'm getting teary-eyed now, like just thinking of it, mm-hmm. being out of a decade, the father putting his hand on his daughter's head, that you should be like the, the Imahot. I didn't have that. I didn't know who they were. Making the brachas of, of your kids at a Shabbat table. They're beautiful things. These are things that growing up, I didn't know what they were. What's the relationship like now as your family is seeing kind of the family you've built, the way that you're living your life? What's it like for you and your wife when you have family get-togethers and they're seeing what you have built together? My my family has accepted exactly who I am, what I am, and what I do. I, I don't think they fit into it, but I think it's normalized over the years and it's become my son's an Orthodox Jew in New York. I think that's the line, right? Well, how do you think your life would have been different if you had never even started on this path and you just kept going about what you're doing in the French school and just like continued on? What would your life be today? I'd be doing fashion photography, like a regular, normal person. And I think I'd have no niche and I'd be a fish out of water. So I'm curious, as someone who's been on this major transformation in your own life, what advice do you have for someone who might be listening saying, you know what? I'm thinking of taking a few of these steps. Like, where do you think someone should begin or what's important when you're considering this kind of change? I think you have to really want it. And if you want to do something, you have to just do it. Whether that means keeping kosher, whether that means keeping Shabbos, whether it means doing one mitzvah. I remember saying, let me put tzitzis on every morning. If it's one thing that you can do that differentiates you from everyone else, do it with your spin the way that makes you most connected. Beautifully said, Sam, and the perfect lead into our lightning round. So you ready? I'm ready. All right. Question number one. What is like the coolest event you ever got to photograph? Can it be one in the future? You can answer however you want. There's no rules in the lightning round. My wife and I next week are flying to Bermuda. We're being flown to Bermuda, my whole team and my wife, to shoot a weekend bar mitzvah. And I think it's going to be pretty cool. Do you need somebody to carry your luggage? You'd be the 375th person to ask that. But sure, you can come. (laughs) Okay, question two. What would you say to someone who thinks, I don't need a photographer, my phone takes great pictures? Make sure you have your phone in the hands of a person who can take good pictures. (laughs) That's not where I was going with that question. I know, that's why I said it. (laughs) And last question. What is the single best or favorite photo you ever took? So I don't think there's one specific photo, but a photo that you look at and speak to you that's what i love sam i want to thank you for joining me on saturday to shabbos and spending a little time with us today thank you this was great saturday to shabbos is produced by gary wallach our executive producer is rabbi david pardo our theme music is by paul uden to learn more about us please visit taklismedia.com that's t-a-c hlismedia.com Tell us what you think about what you've heard or suggest a story we should know about by emailing Shabbos at tachlismedia.com I'm Jeff Cohen. Thanks for listening. Please check with us often for more stories of inspiring Jewish journeys. Saturday to Shabbos is a Tachlis Media podcast.